My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. It is a much cooler spring morning today here in the capital, but joining me on the show to hopefully add some warmth and brightness to affairs this morning is Sheila Walsh, a leadership development specialist offering coaching, psychology and organisational consultancy services. Um, Sheila places a special emphasis on leadership and inclusion in her work with a focus on leadership in particular that's good for everyone and um, Sheila hello and welcome to the show hello thanks for having me it's an immense pleasure having you Sheila and by all means thanks for taking the time to join us this morning now um as I've sort of touched on for the listeners that might not be familiar with you in your work and um, you are a leadership development specialist so for someone in your line of work I'd be interested to understand to start off with what does that sort of word leader actually mean to you personally Hmm, brilliant question. Yeah. So I suppose there's, for me, there's two types of leaders. There's the formal leader who's given an authoritarian role in some way. So somebody's been given authority and power. And then there's a lot of informal leaders who are, who naturally step into leadership roles and support people in, in their performance and thriving. So for me, leadership is ultimately around supporting others in their performance and thriving, sometimes formally given and sometimes informally given. Um, One of the things that I think is really important about leadership now as opposed to maybe previously is that leadership requires followership. We're not working with such a carrot and stick approach as we used to around motivating the workforce or, you know, getting groups to work together well. So for me, leadership requires strong followership and it's quite relational, um, whether formally or informally given. Yeah, I think there's a real truth behind that. Uh, we kind of moved away from that really archaic style of kind of command and control leadership, haven't we? I think followership is so much more important now. I do believe that's absolutely right. And um, what was it, Sheila, that kind of made you sort of venture into sort of leadership consultancy in the first place? What kind of sort of inspired you to think that, you know, this is the line of work I want to go into. This is my forte. Hmm, I, I accidentally ended up here. So I think that's, and now it's quite intentional. But I would have naturally have worked a lot with leaders in other roles that I would have done. And in the work that I was doing in coaching, it became quite clear that leaders in particular were accessing the services. And um, one of the reasons that I, um, I suppose, committed to this line of work more so than other um, other areas is that I had a realization when I was doing um, a good bit of community work that often it's funded and that people in positions of power, not always the organization you're working with, are making decisions about that funding. And I started to think about how far removed leaders can be at times from the actual outcomes they're creating, whether positive or negative. And for me, leaders are given both formal and informal power, but aren't always supported in how to utilize that power or how to create the biggest impact or make the most effective decisions. So for me, it it became really clear that we're not supporting the very people we often blame or scapegoat when something goes wrong, but we are expecting them to make decisions and have certain outcomes that have a positive impact. So for me, it became really clear that they have the power to make the changes that are required in organizations and society, but they don't always have the support or insight or the right development for what they actually need. Um, a lot of leadership development is, um, t- isn't tailored. It's quite cookie cutter. Um, and it means that we're often training people to have new knowledge, but not always know how to utilize that knowledge 
and when to utilize it for the impact that they want to have. So for me, it, it kind of emerged over my career and it became really clear to me that we expect leaders to make better decisions and to have strong impact um, and to have a positive impact. But we don't always support that practice in the way that it's needed. We might support it, but maybe not in the way that it's needed. So it became quite a natural evolution for me to specialize um, in working with leaders over time, seeing the, the ripple effects and the impact of leadership in multiple settings. Yeah, it certainly makes sense from my perspective. And I think it is important, as you say, there to kind of reconnect leaders with what goes on at the sharp end of things, because you can sort of see examples of where sort of leaders can be removed from end um, outcomes, as you say, um, and removed from the people at them on the ground at the sharp end of things. So it is hugely important. I think that's absolutely right. And I suppose that's kind of where sort of inclusive leadership sort of comes into the uh, the fold, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that is really important about inclusive leadership and, and why it's an area that I, I specialize in, in particular, uh, an approach, is that inclusive leadership allows the leader to have their role in the group and to know their place in the group, but equally to ensure that they're not holding the group back to the level of their own competency. When using inclusive leadership, we end up being able to um, combine multiple levels of competency to create a new group level of competency um, and take in opinions that we, we don't usually hear. So one of the big things that goes on with leadership is that they're not always getting the honest feedback. They might get critical feedback about their performance, but often, as there's a couple of people between them maybe and the shop floor, let's say, they're not always actually knowing what's really happening or the dynamics at play or the people involved. And what starts to happen is they're making decisions with the biased information they're receiving and possibly with some yes yes people around them. Um, and so inclusive leadership allows the leader to really value the input of people, even if it feels resistant, even if it goes against their own opinion, so that a kind of overall collective better choice is made. Um, and, and I think that that's really important to close some of those gaps that we're seeing and cause massive issues in organizations today where there just is contradicting purposes and needs because the KPIs of middle managers doesn't match the KPIs of their senior leadership team. And we're, we're seeing these gaps in what's expected of people. And so they start fulfilling their role rather than considering their role in organizational performance. Um, and I think inclusive leadership helps close that gap between leaders and multiple other people in the organization. Just goes to show as well, doesn't it, uh, just for sort of those younger listeners that might be tuning into this podcast that are of the entrepreneurial mindset and are maybe thinking of starting out as a leader of their own business per se, you're only really as good as that team that you build around you, aren't you? And it is very easy to kind of like sort of stray from the straight and narrow given what we've just talked about, isn't it? So it's got to, it's about sort of remaining focused in that sense. Yeah, like I think the time of hero leadership is well and truly gone. But that doesn't mean we don't still like it. It doesn't mean that we don't still love the idea that one person has the answers and whatever they say goes because it avoids responsibility and, and it allows one person's ego to inflate and then lose themselves in the process because they know that they're at risk. But I, I think that for young entrepreneurs who are thinking about progressing, they have to do a lot themselves. I think that that's, that's true. But they have to be willing to be wrong and willing to be influenced and know when they need to be influenced and when they need to hold. And that requires a lot of emotional intelligence, 
a lot of practice, um, a lot of critical thinking. So I won't naively say that inclusive leadership is easy. I, I don't think that it is. But I do think that it ensures that the people around you are adding their maximum value rather than adding value to the point that you're willing to accept it, which can happen in terms of groupthink. And especially in entrepreneurial organizations or startups, we, we tend to listen to the person in charge because they're having to innovate um, and bring their own idea to fruition. But if we're not getting a combination of skills, the organization, the startup, the enterprise can only go to the level that the individual have, have capacity for. And no individual is going to outsmart a, a group who are critically thinking. A group will come up with a higher level of competency, um, innovation and ideas than an individual will on their own. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And another thing as well that sort of makes the inclusive leadership thing quite difficult for some people, I think, is that you do see a lot of people out there that are quite sort of averse to criticism and kind of shy away from risk, shy away from failure, whereas I think you need to approach it with sort of inclusive leadership, that is, with a very much win-all-learn mentality. Where there is criticism, where there is a setback, I think you've got to embrace that. You've got to be willing to learn from that because as leaders, we're never a finished product, are we? Even we are in a constant state of development, a constant state of flux, and every day is still a school day. We are learning all the time. Hmm. And, and while I agree with that, I think one of the big challenges that we overlook is that often in organizations, we don't reward the learning part. We only reward the winning part. So we are training our people to not be inclusive. We're training our people unconsciously to only win because that's all we actually are rewarding in many organizations. So yes, individual leaders need to be better at learning. But one of the issues that we have is that if we're not rewarding within the system, within the organization, that learning process throughout someone's career, we're asking a lot of them at the point of leadership to suddenly do something that they had been taught and trained not to do throughout their career. So I do think that we, we have to look at the individual, but we also have to look at the systems and structures within the organization, what's rewarded and what's privileged in order to actually support people to be inclusive. Um, there is nothing. There's nothing that breaks my heart more than when you, you watch a leader who's done a lot of work about being inclusive and the organization itself rejects it or scapegoats them or uses it against them. And so we do need systems that equally require inclusive leaders. So it's not just about leaders attempting to be inclusive, but about organizations and systems being designed to reward inclusion. Um, and, and I think that that's how we support leaders in actually taking the feedback. But if we've trained someone for 20 years not to take feedback because they have to be right and they have to win, and whenever they get feedback, it's a sign of um, inadequacy or weakness or that they're not good enough, then they're going to really struggle when it comes to being in a position of power and being asked to do the same. Mm. So we do need to think about how we are um, internally in organizations rewarding people and promoting people and measuring their KPIs to ensure that inclusion is something that is considered valuable, not just at certain levels or not just tokenistically, but actually we reward and value it. So I, I do think that we need to look at both those things. Mm, yeah, certainly so. And I think that's going to require a real culture change, isn't it? And uh, 
even though we sort of, when we think of leaders, we instantly are sort of drawn to thinking about the person at the top, the people that are sort of on the pedestal, as it were. Um, there are many different leaders at many different levels within organisations, aren't there? We sort of have those leaders at the top who are sort of the more kind of strategic figures who are sort of looking for the main direction of the company, trying to take it to where it wants to be. But then there's also the operational leaders, kind of like the managers on the ground that are actually executing that at ground level and really making that progress happen. And there is there are some real differences between the two of them, aren't there? They're certainly not one and the same, even though they may be pulling in the same direction. Mm, very much so. One of the biggest challenges I see with the people I work with is being moved from an operational role where you're rewarded for the tasks you did, for the outcomes you and your team achieved, um, for the deliverables, into a strategic role where you're um, expected to think strategically, um, look at big picture, um, influence people, get people to buy into vision. Those things aren't um, valued at operational level because if the operational practices aren't um, occurring, so if things aren't moving, then there isn't time or space for the vision and the influencing and the big picture thinking. And I think one of the things that we we need to think about is the space between operational management and strategic management and how we, and I'm, I'm using management and leadership interchangeably here um, because it depends on the organization and what those words mean in that organization. But in terms of strategic um, versus operational leadership or management, um, when we reward people for operational outcomes such as their deliverables, their KPIs, um, how they're keeping the operations of the business working, and then we ask them to think differently and to influence people and to stakeholder manage and to have conversations, but that they don't have overt outputs. We put a lot of pressure on individuals who don't know whether what they're doing is sufficient or not. And they also don't know how to measure success at a strategic in a strategic role in the way that they know how to measure um, success in an operational role. So I do think that we need to think about two things. is If we're looking at giving somebody um, a strategic role and they've been cultured through operational practices, then we need to do some work with them to support them in learning how to measure other outcomes that aren't necessarily operationally linked, but are strategically linked. Um, and equally, if we have somebody in a strategic role who has no understanding of the operations, we may need to help them understand um, some of the operational challenges at that level that are occurring so that they can take that into account in their big picture thinking. So often, what I see happen is operational managers or leaders who are quite effective at an operational level are encouraged to um, go for promotion to strategic level. But nobody's assessed whether they have strategic skills, whether they even like being strategic, whether that will be satisfying for them or not. So we have this kind of upward approach when it comes to leadership and management, which is that the further up you go, the more successful you are. But often what happens is we, we move people out of roles that they are really good in to roles that are deemed more successful that they actually don't thrive in and that they struggle in. And it may not be a match for their personality, their values, their preferences, their strengths. So we do really need to think about what we think is success because an organization absolutely cannot function without operational approaches, but it absolutely cannot grow without strategic. So we need both of those things. But sometimes we place one as higher than the other and we move people who are good at one thing into another. Um, one of the big issues with strategic leadership at times is that they can't anchor it down into operational practices. 
So one of the big things when I'm working with strategic leaders who are naturally strategic is helping them bring it back down into everyday language and everyday steps and connecting to KPIs and deliverables for their managers and their, and their direct reports. So both, whether you are operationally naturally minded or strategically naturally minded, you can learn the other, but it's really important to know that they both are required for an organization to function and grow. Um, and that both, even if you're really great strategically, you may need to practice understanding how to develop um, a more grounded approach to that strategy and bringing it down and to life within the organization. And if you're operationally um, minded or preference towards operational practices, then you may need to practice stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, seeing the interconnections. So whichever one you're naturally minded towards or you preference, we still need to understand the other. And I think that that's something that needs to be integrated quite early on in a manager's career especially if they are um, ambitious or high performers, because they're going to lean on the things that they're most comfortable with and they're going to preference those things. But an organization's performance is based on both of those things working really well and both of those departments knowing, or both of those roles, knowing the value of each other. And I think that's where we can go wrong um, in terms of operational approaches and strategic approaches is you can often have those functions or those roles competing and devaluing each other rather than learning from each other and working effectively together. So there is significant differences, but they are very much um, need to be intertwined and need to have a relationship with each other. I think that's very right. And uh, it's no coincidence that um, I've had a lot of people who have come onto this program and talked about how they've sort of started their own businesses and have had to kind of move from sort of doing everything day-to-day themselves with their staff to like moving into that more strategic role, letting go and sort of delegating responsibility so they can focus on scaling up the business. And they found that transition really, really difficult. And that's exactly why, isn't it? You're sort of stepping into an entirely new role and it's one necessarily that you might not be entirely familiar or entirely comfortable with. So kind of making that transition, it's ultimately key to the, uh, the success of a business. And when one masters that, you know, you're then kind of on that road to success, as it were, aren't you? You're sort of on that way to getting it all right. Yeah, and I think how I like to think about it is not what do I want to do? Because a lot of the time when strategic leaders first enter their role, they try to hold on to operational practices Mm. because it makes them feel safer and secure. I think what we need to think about is what is the purpose of this role, the role we're, we're attempting to fulfill in the organization? And how do I fulfill this role to the best of my ability. Whereas what can happen is we don't really want to take on the role because it means that we could fail. We could be challenged in a way that we haven't been challenged yet. And so we end up trying to hold on to other parts of maybe previous functions. But really, whenever we're making decisions, there's two things that I always think about is what's optimal for the organization? Like, what are we aiming for here? What's our North Star? And what's my role in that? And my role in that could be different in, you know, as to last year. So instead of me trying to hang on to the things that make me comfortable, what do I need to do here? What is this role needing of me so that the organization can perform and can meet its objectives? Um, and when I, and I just need to be clear, when I say what does the organization need, I include people as being happy, content, and productive as part of an organizational need. I don't think and burning out our teams or using people to absorb organizational kind of responsibility 
is a way to meet our organizational needs because it's a short-term approach. It's not sustainable. Um, so when I say what's our organizational needs, that's how do we maintain success, improve our performance, and create a sustainable approach to achieve the goals that we've set. Um, and that requires us to step into different roles as leaders at different times and knowing the role we're fulfilling rather than um, comforting ourselves with practices we're familiar with. Exactly right. And for anybody tuning into this that may be in a direct role within their own business or maybe making that transition, I'd certainly urge you to sort of really heed that advice because it is so, so, so very profound. And uh, just before, obviously, we finish up on the other uh, programme today, Sheila, because I'm conscious we're starting to, uh, to run short of time. Um, I'd be interested to understand what sort of work around this type of leadership that you're going to be doing over the course of this next 12 months, because I can imagine you've got plenty lined up in uh, that regard, because it's a big time for business. I mean, it's a time where business um, is sort of adjusting to sort of moving out of the uh, the pandemic. There are a lot of new startup businesses sprouting up as they do in times of economic hardship. So I can imagine there's plenty that you've got your eyes on work-wise over the year, uh, this next year. Yeah, so... One of the interesting things is um, COVID and the pandemic um, have impacted businesses very differently. Not all businesses are losing. Mm. Um, and and so that's the first thing that I think is really important. If we're getting into that mindset that there's only economic da- you know, downfall, then we may be missing the fact that there, wherever there's a downfall, something's improving and somewhere else. So we need to think about that a little bit. In terms of the next year, so I do um, work with a number of um, senior leaders privately through coaching and also through what's considered shadow consulting. So I, I might team up with them to solve problems within their business confidentially um, and then they take that forward and then also coaching them. And then also I'm running a pilot program around inclusive leader development, which is where 12 individual leaders have self-nominated themselves to learn about leaders, inclusive leadership. And so we're in our third month and um, coming into April. And then the other thing is that I'm doing quite a bit of organizational development dialogic circles. So where I'm working with organizations to help them move their culture forward through shared leadership practices and inclusive practices, as well as working with actually direct training and development in leadership um, in multiple organizations, both nationally and internationally. So there's quite a bit on the plate between here and next year. Um, but I think what I really love about the year ahead of me is that because of what we've gone through globally, there is a curiosity and a desire to work more effectively um, in terms of complexity. Whereas previously, people were saying, no, I can measure a lot of stuff. I know what it is. I know what's coming. So the pandemic has shown that we don't always know what's coming. Mm. And that's allowed me to give a very practical example to a lot of leaders that I work with that we need to always be attempting to be ready for change and flexibility and working with complexity, not always trying to reduce it to technical, simple solutions, because sometimes that's part of the problem. So I have to say that all my work coming up this year has some really interesting um, psychological lenses on it. And also um, there's a good bit of research just due to my PhD going on around how um, we are training, coaching and educating inclusive leaders in Ireland and the UK. Um, so that's some of the stuff that I can think of off the top of my head right now. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic stuff. And um, I do sort of wish you all the luck in the world with executing that, uh, Sheila, and also the completing the, uh, the PhD as well. Certainly seems incredibly interesting with that focus on inclusive leadership um, as well. 
And um, I actually think, just given how enlightening it's been having you joining us on the show today, that as we start to sort of see how kind of that sort of leadership spectrum is really starting to develop um, as we move further and further into the post-pandemic world, that it'd be good to catch up and just sort of reassess the current situation and just see how organisations are kind of making those changes that we've talked about today. Mm, Brilliant. It would be fantastic. And uh, by all means as well, Sheila, uh, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on in the world as well. Niji, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure welcoming leadership development specialist Sheila Walsh onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed today's interview. If you happen to be listening today and you run your own business or organisation with its own tale of success and innovation to share with us or even your own take on leadership, then by all means, we here at the Leaders' Council also want to hear from you. So why not apply to be on the programme yourself via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, you have been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast and I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Take care and goodbye.